Hello, and welcome to Lots and Familiar, the show that remembers the, the show that remembers that the, the, why do I set myself tongue twisters for these intros? I'm going, <laughs> the show that remembers that the Spice Girls tour edition Jerry Halliwell doll, released after Jerry had left the band, came with a headset and the Union Jack sticker, like she always had on all her television appearances. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers that no one else ever seems to is yoga teacher Lucy Pope. Lucy. What are you up to and where can we find it? I am on Instagram as lucypyoga.com and also on Twitter as it underscore me underscore Lucy P. Okay, well, I can't find any way of getting from yoga into your first choice, but this is one of the things <laughs> where when I very first came up with the idea for Looks and Familiar, this was on the list that I sent of examples to the first ever guest, Phil Catterall. It's amazing it's taken somebody this long to choose it, but here we are. of music you will either recognize or you won't if you do recognize it it will be seared into your memory so lucy what was interceptor it was a tv show i think it was late 80s early 90s and it was kind of like challenge annika but with a darker edge there was a man in a helicopter dressed all in black shooting at people who had backpacks and if they didn't get shot on all four of the pods and I think if they made it to the end, they got to keep the money. Yeah, because there were two contestants, weren't there? Actually, I should just do yeah. a bit of history to this, which is that it was kind of a spin-off from Treasure Hunt, which had been the big hit on Channel 4, where Annabelle Croft, who hosted this, had basically been maternity cover for Annika Rice, and then Treasure Hunt got cancelled. So they just moved her over to primetime ITV presenting this, which was, as I'll come back to, was a weird mishmash of influences to have. But I think they thought it'd be a huge hit, because it was like a kind of amped-up high-tech version of treasure hunt and it really wasn't but yeah there were two contestants and one had a backpack full of money and the other had a backpack full of weights i think or just bricks or something yes yes that's right so they didn't know did they who to protect because it could have been either one of them that had the cash. Yeah, and as you say, they were being pursued by the Interceptor, who was Sean O'Kane, who had been a stuntman. But the story apparently is that he just went out to Hollywood to try and break into stunts. And he was doing a stunt on Cagney and Lacey and living in a van. And Sharon Glass and Tyne Daly liked him so much as they said, can he be written in as a series regular? So he became an actor. And then he came over and did this, which is a weird gig, because he was just <laughs> running around chasing the contestants. But as a kind of 
of dark 80s, not really action hero. Those films kind of that came in the wake of Rambo and things, where they'd have like an anti-hero all in black. But his thing was, he was ferried around in a helicopter by a man called Mikey, who he did unconvincing banter with, proto-laddie stuff. And he screeched at the contestants like an eagle. And I remember one of them yes. saying, yeah. he's making a rather stupid noise, Annabelle. And he looked really <laughs> embarrassed, like he didn't know what to do. They just weren't having any of it. But I think that's mainly what people remember is him vaulting over fences and things. Yes, I don't. I remember very little of the contestants or the challenges they had to do. It was all about, and it wasn't just a helicopter, was it? He could commandeer any vehicle or means of pursuing the contestants. Wasn't there an episode where one of the contestants got into a vehicle and he was in it? Really? I don't remember that. But that that's so. like, that's like so. with the hitcher with Rutger Hauer or something, who he even looked a bit like. I don't think I've made I think when we first sort of talked about this, when because I, I was stunned. It's a travesty that this only had one series. And then when I think when I was looking into it, I'm sure I read that there was an episode where, yeah, it's just like the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, because there was only one series and the official explanation is that it was made by Thames TV who then had to rebid for their ITV licence and it was too expensive and they cancelled it to save money so they could do a higher bid which they then lost which I've got some doubts about because you mentioned you couldn't remember that much about the contestants well the contestants were really dull people for the most part they were like the sort of people that weren't fine on Treasure Hunt where it was you know kind of slower and more about using your head and so on but you know 8pm on ITV and it was just you know accountants and so on running round not really with much stock quality and I think that's one of the reasons it flopped and in the opening titles you know it's got all these incredible shots of Annabelle ducking as things fly over her and the interceptor vaulting over motorbikes and so on in between there's some contestants looking bored and some beekeepers I think that's the problem with the show was that the format promised more than the contestants could deliver so it was like sort of country file mixed with hunted as we have now maybe this was a a prototype hunted it could could well have be. been but it really did bomb because there was there was the one series then there was a new year's day special you know which immediately that's alarm bells because really new year's day isn't that prestigious for tv is it it's where they no. put things that are big but nobody really wants to see and if memory serves at the start of it they say merry christmas annabelle and the interceptor and, you know, you don't say that on New Year's Day. So obviously, they've been pushed oh, back from Christmas Eve or something. Oh, they got bumped. It's very fond in my memory because I was at primary school when it came out and we used to play it all the time. <laughs> so this is why, for me, it's like, what do you mean there's only one series? It was the best thing ever when you were of 10. Who were you when you played it? I think we took it in turns. I mean, obviously the best role was to be the interceptor. Not that we had helicopters or anything in the school playground. But yeah, having to be hunted was not good fun. See, I was actually at secondary school at that point. The main reason I remember it is it was during a very long hot summer in 1989 when, you know, I kind of associated that more with the Batman film. I don't think it quite came out yet, but everyone was walking around wearing Batman t-shirts and Mary Wiseau's experience was on Radio 1. And then in in the evenings on ITV as this mad insane programme still I can't understand what he was doing there in the kind of slot where you'd normally get I don't know what was on in the, it was a bit before the Darling Buds of May but it was that sort of thing would be on in that time slot yeah something gentle yes and this this was not gentle no matter how dull no. the contestants might have been it absolutely was not it's definitely due a revival but maybe with some contestants that have personality 
I would 100% do it. Oh, I, mm, I don't know if I could be bothered with the running. But, yeah, I would do it. Well, it was a rare flop for it. It was made by Chatsworth Television, who obviously had done Treasure Hunt. And then immediately after this, this is why I'm suspicious about the reasons for it being cancelled, was they did the Crystal Mage, which was a huge hit. But yeah. it's so much cheaper because that, I mean, I know it was must be an expensive set to build, but that's all in one set with one host with contestants that, you, you know, they didn't have time to be boring. They were against the clock, whereas Intercept, yeah. There was all on location in the country with helicopters and motorbikes and it must have cost an absolute bomb. Yeah. So I think they were probably thinking themselves, this isn't really a good return for the money we're spending on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if it's not a ratings hit. I don't know. I seem to remember that people did get the money. You know, sometimes with these shows, you know, the contestants lose at the end, don't they? But I do seem to... I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, but I do seem to remember people doing quite well out of it. So, again, I suppose if you're having to dole out huge amounts of cash every week, that's not great either. Yeah, that would be a bit of a problem, I think. But I think its main problem was that looking at it now, because I watched one again, probably for the first time since they've been on, and it's all over the place in what it's trying to cash in on. Because the main thing is the popularity of Treasure Hunt, but there was a big thing in the 80s for outdoor, open-air, pseudo-assault course type things. Like there was a game show called Run the Gauntlet, which was basically people doing army manoeuvres. There's a bit of, you know, Laser Quest was a new thing then. I don't know if it had even really probably come over from America, but it's the sort of thing people get excited about. There's a bit of the 80s sword and sorcery, Robin the Sherwood business going on. There's a bit of video nasties in there. There's the whole thing about, in the 80s, it's really weird. If you were a boy, people were always telling you things like, oh, you like helicopters, you like the red arrows. I'm like, I, I don't. Why are you telling me this? But there's a bit of that in there as well. It's like it doesn't yeah. know what it wants to be. So it didn't know who it was for. It was for me. It was for me. <laughs> Nine-year-old me loved it. What else is interesting is Annabelle Croft didn't really go on to do anything else like this. I think she was just a bit of a... Because she had been a tennis champion. I think she was the youngest ever UK tennis champion. And then I think she was still only about 19 or 20 when she did this. And then she was just a general celeb for a bit. And then became like a, you know, sports pundit, like a proper analyst on TV and radio. And this is like a... It sticks out like a sore thumb on her CV. Trying to break from the norm. Trying to do something new. Did she? she wears some like jumpsuits in it some very 80s kind of aerobic style jumpsuits that's my memory she didn't in the one i watched but i got the impression it might have been a very very cold day and they were trying to make it look otherwise she had like a yeah. huge cricket jumper on but yes i remember being promoted on kind of the basis of that tv times had the sort of shots that you know when you were 13 you would think were racy where it's yeah, yeah. it's just it's a woman <laughs> in a jumpsuit but you know when yeah you know, and a headband it, yeah but in she those days at that age you think well hey and no it wasn't really <laughs> tv times was good for that sort of thing really yes i did also find out i was astonished by this they did an american pilot hosted by eric estrada from chips which i don't think it went to a series but nothing about that sounds appealing at all no no no, a strange time in television. The theme music, like the Treasure Hunt theme music, done by a guy called Zach Lawrence, who in the 70s was Mr. Blow, who did Grooving with Mr. Blow, that kind of mod instrumental, which Elton John played piano on, incidentally. But it just doesn't make any sense that, you know, someone have this novelty dance hit record in the 70s and then do these really dramatic neoclassical theme tunes for things. And I don't imagine as many mods dancing to the Interceptor theme. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It could be like sort of a, a niche offshoot. It would make Quadrophenia a bit different, that's all I can say. It would. <laughs> 
Yes, for sure. Okay, well, moving on to your next choice now, which is a bit of technology that I wouldn't be surprised if the Interceptor tried to use this himself when he was trying to track down the contestants. They are all around us. Millions of barcode warriors and wizards waiting to fight. Waiting for barcode battle to free their awesome power. But be warned, nobody knows what's really out there. The battle has just begun. Barcode Battler. Okay, that was an advert for the Barco Battler, a piece of technology that I have to admit passed me by a bit. Lucy, what was going on here? So it was a games console where it did come with a few cards which had barcodes on it and you and your opponent would choose one each and scan it. And then the machine read the barcode and depending on what it read, your battler would have a certain amount of power. And then on the screen, you would see the two of them have a fight and it became massive because I think it was in China. There had been a packet of pasta or noodles or something which sold out countrywide because people had discovered that this barcode was like the most super powerful battler ever. So the idea of it was that you, you know, you'd sort of cut barcodes off your household product and maybe you would discover an amazing, fantastic battler. But tragically, in reality, that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking into it earlier and apparently, like you say, it did come with its own barcodes for power-ups and monsters, apparently. But it did suggest prominently that you went and looked for other barcodes that worked with it. Now, immediately coming to mind is things like that's not consulting any of the retailers that, you know, were reliant on barcode data for scanning how much of their stuff was sold. It's a green light, really. You know, looking from an adult point of view, for kids to run riot around supermarkets and misbehave. Thing, stealing stuff that has valuable barcodes on that they couldn't afford and i didn't find anything about any controversy about it but i imagine there probably was i don't remember any i, I just remember i got sick of it very quickly because nothing that we put through ever worked or did anything the only barcodes that worked were the ones that came with it and thinking about it now like if i think if that product was developed now they would have tie-ins, wouldn't they, with all kinds of brands to shift product. Yeah, apparently they did do in Japan where it was huge. I mean, that was uh, my so first thing on hearing about this was that the idea of a barcode battler just in general reminded me of, I mean, it's a bit difficult looking back on things like this now, but the way things like Newsround would be obsessed with stories about the latest craze in Japan where it'd be you know, a vending machine with cans of, like, just air in them and that sort of thing. And it was always kind of what are those crazy folks up to now and yes. the barcode battler kind of fits that template exactly and apparently there were tie-ins with mario and zelda in japan oh, which well, you know you could buy in packs but over here you know it'd be a nothing. tesco basmati rice snap here. yeah yeah because my dad was i wasn't allowed a games console at all and everybody else had a commodore 64 so this was like the first thing i was allowed to have and probably because my dad seemed to have an interest in it. So I remember him being quite invested in cutting things up 
trying to get a barcode to work but nothing did but yeah I think that would be now I think that would be an entirely it would be an entirely different product now and as you say it would lead to children running riot and stealing all sorts to get the best battlers it's odd that it didn't really take off though because I don't want to sound like you know one of those oh we had to make our own entertainment in those days I mean, it's a pretty advanced <laughs> piece of kit for the early 90s really and it's quite an imaginative idea because barcodes themselves weren't that old at that point i don't think no they weren't they weren't it was yeah it was quite new wasn't it some shops you'd go into and they'd still be tapping the price of everything into the till i remember going to the big asda in grimsby it was very exciting when they suddenly went to scanning yeah it was it was advanced for its time it's just, tragically it didn't work no it just didn't take off at all and i wonder if it was to do with the fact the game boy must have come out around the same time and you know let's be honest if people were able to get one for christmas they would have asked for that instead of barco battler really Really? Yes, yes. That was my next console. And after that, the Barco Battler was forgotten. It was definitely a novelty product. Once you realised that you couldn't find your own magic with it, there was very little point to it. And then obviously, yeah, Tetris. Who doesn't love Tetris? Apparently, it is quite a cult thing now with the kind of gentleman who will, you know, hack the original program and make their own modified versions of it. I don't know what else you could do to become the QR code battler or something, but apparently oh, there is quite a big community for it now. Oh, maybe I need to find, because I'm sure I will still have that somewhere. Maybe I need to find these people. Maybe they're my people. <laughs> they might want to play Interceptor with them. <gasps> oh, my word. An Interceptor Barco Battle Mashup. Dreams. <laughs> but would you want to be the contestant or the Interceptor in that case? Oh, I think I'd want to be the Interceptor. I'd want the power. Yeah. It is interesting, though, how there were all these toys that things like the Game Boy, to mention that again, kind of changed everything in terms of that's when it started becoming everything in one box. You didn't need individual bits of entertainment. It's like the way now. I feel like a relic for still having an MP3 player because they were superseded by phones a long time ago. But Barco Battler, there were a lot of things like that around then that did one thing that yes. became junk very, very quickly. I mean, one of the previous choices on this was the VTech Master Paint which does even less than you know your gallery does on your phone now yeah and there was the what was the plug-in thing that you plugged into your teeth like the tennis thing I mean, obviously that was from the 70s it was oh there, there were actually was... rival brands of them yes yeah there, were, oh, were there? there was the binatone one there was grandstand and there's one course like olympic or whatever but they were all almost essentially exactly the same but somehow they were rivals that i did not know i thought there was just like one that you plugged into your tv and you could watch two lines hit a circle some of them had a gun as well where you could shoot a dot going along the screen ah yeah yes i think i remember that one as well but yeah they were there was there would just be sort of one or two games on things or the atari where you'd have to wait hours for it to load so i suppose the barco battler was the first one where it was you know you could instantly play but then yes the game boy came and there was your machine that did all sorts and on such a tiny little cartridge and instantaneously in fact do you know what I would be surprised if nobody had done a barcode battler app. Because when you think about it, you know, you have to look scan... now. Well, you have to scan QR codes all the time, particularly at the moment if you're doing your lateral flow tests. You know, you do. surely somebody must have come up with something similar. Although it might be copyrighted, I don't know. But that's never stopped anyone developing an app, really. I found one. Really? Yes, Barcode Kingdom. It's got very high rating. Is it free or is it? It's 49 pence. <laughs> Obtaining units and items from barcodes. It looks a lot, I mean, 
it should be a lot better than barcode battler things with 35 years on or whatever we are 35 25 it does look a lot better i'll send it to you tim i wonder if it combines with pokemon go which is kind of i suppose the equivalent now i was really obsessed with that when it first launched i imagine i must have been quite annoying to hang out with because wherever i was <laughs> especially if i was in a new area i was on my phone catching pokemon or going for battles. The tram stop near my house was a big battle spot. How did they decide where they went? I don't know. And again, I think with that, I mean, tram stops, bus stops, whatever, that's, you know, that's there. But again, businesses could perhaps have really tapped into that by making them, you know, paying to be battlegrounds. Although, do you want a gang of children and me? a middle-aged woman congregating outside your business. I don't know. I'm just wondering if also maybe there was no glamour to barcodes at all because it was a thing that nobody <laughs> really understood. It's not really kind of what would... I mean, it must have appealed to you because you wanted one, but it's not it kind of the first thing you think of about, you know, kids would think, oh, I'm really into barcodes. <laughs> Can't wait to scan some of them and have fights with them. It was just some lines you didn't understand. It also makes you think of on Stuart Lee and Richard Herring's Fist of Fun. Do you remember those mad Magic Eye was a craze around then as well. Oh, yeah. But oh, they, yeah. they had a load of barcodes stuck together and said, it's a magic eye picture. And if you stare for it for long enough, you will see absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> but that's that's what barcodes were. They weren't, you know, aspirational in any way. No, they weren't. I've never heard people put glamour and barcodes together in the same sentence before, so that's amused. I'm sure if I Mariah think... Carey had one, it'd be quite glamorous. It, well, maybe, yeah, she'd jazz it up somehow. Yeah, I suppose it was something that just, I mean, like, I've always been, a, you know, like an early adopter and any kind of gadget or new geeky thing I'm into. So I suppose it would appeal to a very yeah, specific demographic of people, you know, where there's something new. They're like, oh, what's this? Which is probably why it never took off, because as you say, there is there's no glamour in barcodes. There just isn't. <laughs> Which is probably why there's a now a sort of an underground subsection of people hacking them and being quite obsessive about it. But I'm quite interested in that. <laughs> Not for everyone. Well, when they do the... Oh, God, what's the name of a fashion house? I can't remember now. Debenhams has closed, doesn't it? I don't know if we could class Debenhams as a fashion house either, Tim. <laughs> are, you, are we thinking more like sort of a Chanel... Or a Gucci. Yeah, I was just thinking like just, a, a, yeah. a winter barcode collection. <laughs> when they do a winter yeah. barcode collection being modelled in Paris, then, you know, we'll know the sun glamour's arrived. But... Well, if there's any designers struggling for their next collection listening, I think we've just given them a sterling idea. I wonder if that was why Naomi Campbell slipped over on the catwalk that time she had a barcode battler and was scanning the crowd. Maybe. <laughs> it would have been around Maybe that time. Did. Yes, it was nothing to do with those massive Vivian Westwood platforms. It was all about the barcode battler. Okay, well, I've got absolutely no way of getting from the barcode battler yet again <laughs> into your next choice. Apart from the fact that some people might have said it was a sort of magic. <gasps> yes. High school. It's supposed to be the time of your life. How did she do that, Jane? But for Louise Miller, high school was a living hell. From her first secret love. Just die. To her first blind date. Nobody wants to date you because you're a dog. A dog! A dog! I'm David, Randa's cousin. Ready? My life is a walking, talking tragedy. Give me some soul kisses, baby! I wish you would just leave me alone! 
But just when nothing more could possibly go wrong. You, you're one of us. A witch? Something wonderful went right. Now she's possessed with special powers. You have the power to make anything you want to happen. Can I make them love me? Love you? With me being your son, she's gonna become your love play. Everybody dreams. But Louisa's dreams all come true. Astroth, Barbas, Tetragrammaton, Theos, Ishinos, Athetos. What? It's a, a new YouTube song. Teen Witch. Winning is a magical feeling. Okay, apologies for that dreadful link, but that was a trailer for Teen Witch, a film I had completely forgotten about. You might be thinking the title sounds a little bit familiar, and you'd be right. So, Lucy, what goes on in this? In Teen Witch, there's a young girl. She's not popular, as these films always start. One friend, they're the geeks. The popular kids take no interest in them, but she is in love with the star of the football team who is obviously dating the head cheerleader, as they always are. But what she discovers on her 16th birthday is that she is actually a witch and has magic powers. And she casts some spells and all manner of things happen to people. Obviously, don't want to ruin it because it's a great film. People need to watch it. I think the standout thing for me, though, there are some just really odd musical numbers in it, which are still stone cold bangers. I like boys, for example. Or is it top that, beat that? The just the yeah, the musical interludes in this film are something else. Yeah, top that is a rap performed by two very unlikely characters just spontaneously in the streets, isn't it? Yes, yes. Who do not look like they should be rapping under any circumstances. No, there's some great gifts for it as well. Or GIFs, whichever you prefer to say. But it was the very last attempt to wring something out of the, well, I mean, I say franchise, but, you know, there'd been Team Wolf, which was a huge hit, and then Team Wolf 2, which nobody liked, really. You know, for years, Jason Bateman was like the punchline for jokes because he was in that. And this was the last throw of the dice. And it didn't take off at the time, but it's since become a huge cult hit because, as we just alluded to with the top that sequence, it just does very strange things for no real reason, but in a really endearing way. Yes, yes. it's. I mean, I think it's... I've tried to make people watch it with me since, and everyone's very much, what on earth is this? But if you <laughs> find somebody who watched it, as a child or a teenager, they will be passionately obsessive about it. It's also, it's got a real kind of end of the 80s vibe about it because it's like the last flagging remnant of some things that, you know, you got in every 80s film, like, you know, there's the hilarious comedy cameo who, well, it's not really a cameo because he has a large part in this, but Dick Sargent, who was Darren in Bewitched, you know, the husband of a witch in that. Although I think he's her father here, isn't he? And yeah. there's things like the songs by Cindy Valentine, who was one of those kind of semi-rock stars that, you know, never actually had any actual success, but seemed to be acting and performing in films all the time. 
her songs are kind of the textbook example of the way in, you know, in 80s teen films, you get all the teenagers going wild to some not very good song and think, no, hang on, nobody knows this song. Why are they all getting excited about it? Why are they all dancing in that weird way and then they all lift one of them up or something? It is almost like a line drawn under this kind of film in the 80s. It's got the same sort of plot that they've all got, which is that she becomes a kind of celebrity for her powers, but then realises she must use them for good. I mean, that's that's as unspoilery as some of the plot as I can give, but it is like somebody trying to cling on to that teen film explosion long after it finished. But because of that, it's very endearing in a way. It is. I mean, the plot line is so tired and overused. But yeah, so Zelda Rubinstein as the older witch is just amazing. And then the guy playing her little brother, playing Louise's little brother, it's just the weirdest, creepiest performance that, you know, I can think of. It, like he's, he's, it's just bizarre. And the singing. I'm all about the singing in it. Yeah, that's Joshua John Miller, isn't it, playing the younger brother, who was later in some very odd films indeed, like The Ghost Writer and so on. The whole cast is interesting because it is people. A bit like, I mean, I mentioned Cindy Valentine. One thing to say about her is she needs to specialise in acting and singing in badly received sequels because around the same time she was also <laughs> in Mannequin 2 on the Move and Another Nine and a Half Weeks, which I have never even seen. It's that I ridiculous didn't... and I idea as well as that i would not have known there was a sequel to mannequin i had no idea there absolutely was but the team witch herself is played by robin lively who's one of those people that you think is more famous than she actually is because when you look at a list of credits before this she's mainly in really annoying american sitcoms about precocious children things like punky brewster and silver spoons and afterwards She's mainly in sort of darker teen adult dramas, really. And she's a name where you think, oh, yeah, she's done some really big stuff. And then you look at it and she hasn't really. Although she did date Jason Priestley once, apparently, which, you know, is quite celeb, if you ask me. It is quite celeb. He was a big name. It feels a bit like they've cast her in this as a second choice to Molly Ringwald. They've got a similar sort of look, but obviously Molly was the queen of... 80s teen dramas or comedies. Yeah, and I can't even remember what she would have been doing at this point, but it was probably something a bit more prestigious than Teen Witch. Yes, yes. Well, she'd have, oh, in the, so by then there would have been Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and all, you know, she was massive, wasn't she? So can't imagine she'd have wanted to do it, but it's always felt to me a little bit like that's what they were trying to emulate, that kind of, you know, John Hughes plot line with another Molly Ringwald. But I still love the film. But I've just looked, apparently, Robin Lively went straight into Doogie Howser MD, which I don't know if you remember oh. that. Oh, yes. Who could forget Doogie? <laughs> Yes, and that for a long time was a punchline and thing. Yeah, the amount of derogatory references to that in early episodes of The Simpsons are quite staggering, really. But I think people look back on it quite fondly now because, you know, he emerged as quite a very capable actor in later years. And I think people just thought because he was a youngster, you know, they kind of wrote him off as a precocious child star. And I don't know if I actually want to go and watch it again, but (laughs) no, I think it probably deserves a fairer crack of the whip than it's being given. He was massive. 
Cardiff. I remember that. That was huge. Every, it was one of those shows everybody watched. It wasn't the same slot on BBC One for about two years as well, like continuously. Yeah. But it's still now, I think, as a reference that people use, you know, if you've got a sort of a child achieving things, people <laughs> will still say, all right, do Yowza. They don't Can't say, all right, team witch, though, which they no, should they do. No, they don't. They should. They should. I've got some friends coming to watch The Craft on Halloween. I think I might slip Teen Witch in afterwards. What do you actually make, though, assuming you've seen it, of Teen Wolf 2? And is that the weakest of the franchise? Uh, no, I haven't seen Teen Wolf 2. I've only got vague memories of one. But Teen Witch was one of those... I would say it was in the days of the video shop, when everything that you'd gone to get out had already been got out. It was one of those other films that was there that, you know, you ended up having to reluctantly get, but was a lot more likeable than the usual standard of films you find in those circumstances. 100% that's how I ended up watching it, without a doubt. And also, I probably wouldn't have watched it when it came out. It probably would have been the early 90s when I was a sort of preteen. So it would really capture... My imagination. I think I remember us making some pom poms like cheerleaders after watching it. So inspired were we by that I like boys scene with the singing in the changing room. Again, great gifts on that available. What's just struck me now was quite interesting though is I could be wrong on this, but I've got a feeling that every couple of years they try to make witches a thing with young girls because it happens, you know, going back to the 60s, you know, in cycles of every couple of years. I mean, shortly after this, you've got things like Charmed and Sabrina. The teen, I think Sabrina the Teenage Witch was first, and then there's a gap, then there's Charmed, and the, you know, it goes on like that. Right at the moment, it's just been WandaVision, which, you know, there's an element of that to that as well. Why do they keep doing it, and why do witches never really catch on? I don't know. I think it is something that appeals. I think it's just something that maybe appeals to teenage girls, or just that idea of magic, being able to, you know, sort of cast spells. I'm still quite into all that. Peyton just never goes away. But is it that you realise that you can't do it and move on to something else? Or do you discover, like Team Witch, that you like boys and move on? <laughs> um, I don't know. I shouldn't say I not everyone discovers that they like boys, sorry. Got to no, no. correct myself there. There's, yes, they're interested in all different types of people. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not sure. It's something, I mean, for me, I think it's something I've probably come back to more recently because it all ties in with sort of yoga and spirituality and astrology and, yeah, my people are just very into that kind of thing. But I wouldn't think that I could genuinely cast the spell. Whereas I think when you're a teenage girl and your imagination's still running wild, there is that excitement of possibility that actually maybe that could happen to me. I could be a witch. I could cast the spell. It's feels quite exciting and isn't it interesting as well that you know that i mean there is don't get me wrong there is the whole thing of you know witches being old crones and so on but with witches you do get to make them young and sexy whereas i don't recall anyone ever pitching wizards at boys in a similar way you know they're almost always no, right. you know old men with big beards and you know you look at i mean just mentioning one division i can imagine lots of young girls wanting to be scarlet witch i don't think there's many boys wanting to be dr strange really no no, don't think, yeah, probably doesn't necessarily capture your average teenage boy's imagination in the same way. Would be interesting if it did. Well, you yeah, know, this time. But I can't remember anything with a wizard where I really thought, ooh, that's kind of like exciting and that. <laughs> We're always like secondary no. figures. Whereas I did quite like things with witches in, but, you know, that's a... Uh... 
Let's not go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we should. That sounds interesting. <laughs> All I will say is I've recently written the programme notes for the Singing Ringing Tree, the old 60s TV serial, and I always found the princess more attractive when she was turned into a witch than when she was the princess. So oh, I don't really? know what that says about me, but yeah, with the green hair and the, the slightly crooked nose, I don't, I don't know. Really, that's that's... Going too far into my psyche. <laughs> Princesses often quite subservient, aren't they? Whereas the witch is always independent. So maybe all that's saying is that you, you prefer women to have a mind of their own. I will take that. Thank you for such a generous go. interpretation. So. You're so welcome. <laughs> Lucy, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Oh, I'll do that a bit better. That sounded terrible. <laughs> make me laugh. Come on. Me make you laugh. Oh, that's too much pressure, Tim. <laughs> Lucy, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. It's been amazing to come on. Thank you for having me. Higher Than The Sun by Tim Worthington. The story of Bloodless by My Bloody Valentine, Foxface Alpha by Saint Etienne, Screamadelica by Primal Scream, Bandwagon S by Teenage Fan Club, and how Creation Records took on the world and nearly won. Find out more at timworthington.org. Really stop.